All right, we're in John. If you guys want to um, get a Bible open, I'm going to put some of it up on the, the, the top of the slides as well. I'll put the passage up there to read, but um, yeah, just excited. I feel really honored. Brian asked me to teach. I think I was going to teach maybe about a month ago uh, on one of the passages, and then, you know, anything in John is, 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 is amazing, but the opportunity to get to teach this passage about Jesus and Nicodemus and the conversation they had and the conversation about what it means to be born again. I mean, I feel really fortunate to get to just dive into this passage with you guys this morning. And my son, Caleb, you know, Katie, we're, our kids are six, four, and two, which basically means between two and six a.m. we never sleep because they come into our bed and like kick us in the head and everything else. You know, it's like their morning rhythm and routine. But this morning they came in and they were, they were sleeping with us and and then as a family, we were in bed, and, and Katie says, hey, well, you know, that's teaching today. Let's pray for him. And so they prayed for me. And little Caleb, our uh, four-year-old, he says, Lord, I just pray that Dad would have a lot of fun as he teaches today. And so I, that's my goal. I want to have fun with you guys this morning. Uh, I was like, I like that. Let's, let's see that prayer answered. And so it's just a blessing to get up, open God's word. So, um, yeah, if you, have, if you like a Bible, you can raise your hand up, and we'll hand some of those out for you guys to follow along. I think we're in the ESV if you have your uh, digital phone or app. And, uh, yeah, we'll look at this passage. Uh, let me pray as we, as we start. Lord Jesus, we just worship you this morning, and we thank you that we could be together uh, for fellowship, um, to worship you, Lord, through song. This is an amazing time of worship this morning, and also to hear your word. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would encounter us this morning, that we would meet you here, and that you would be glorified in the things that, that we learn from your word, and that you remind us of, that you teach us, and Lord, that you would be glorified. Help us to know you. To understand your kingdom, Lord, and what it means to be a part of that kingdom, how to see and to enter that kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, here's the passage. This I have to say, this podium is slightly lower than the ones I'm used to, so I might have to like lift my notes up a little bit, but that's okay. Um, so yeah, so John 3, uh, we're 1 through 15. So it's a great passage, but they cut it off at 15, which you know what comes after 15, John 3, 16. So I don't get to do that this morning, so we're not going there. I got I to gotta honor the... the passage portion they gave me, but an amazing portion of scripture in John 3, 1 through 15. So let's read this together. Excuse me. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. But do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. I have told you earthly things, and you do not believe. How can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. 
And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Wonderful passage of scripture here. Um, before we dive a little bit deep, deeper and kind of review the passage again, just some context. Of course, Nicodemus is a religious ruler, it says. Um, he was a Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin, which was kind of the ruling religious class over the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. Um, really, you know, in, in, in Judaism at the time, you had a, various factions or groups of people with the Sadducees, all about the temple, the Pharisees, all about the law. Um, their Essenes were kind of like a, a group that had removed themselves. You had the Zealots who wanted, you know, kind of a military group that wanted to rise up and defeat Rome. Uh, you had the Messianists, kind of groups of believers that were looking for the Messiah and some of them following or being deceived by false messiahs. So these different groups. And Nicodemus is a leader, a ruler of the Jews, and he was a Pharisee, a teacher of the law. So he had a position of power and authority and wealth, uh, really in prestige in Jewish culture. So the Rome, Romans obviously had, had taken over land of Israel, so he was kind of under them, but he even had privilege within that society. You know, they would have seen him as a person of influence and, um, and, and a ruler in many ways. He wasn't in a political office. He wasn't like Herod, a king or whatnot, but he was a, um, a, a significant leader um, in, in the Jewish society at the time. And of course, Jesus would have been seen as potentially a threat. He was someone gathering groups of people and teaching to them. He was doing miracles, which was causing, you know, just shock and amazement in, in groups of people and talking, being talked about a lot. And he was challenging in a lot of ways the authority of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He would get in kind of arguments with them. So Nicodemus coming and wanting to interact with Jesus um, was a unique scenario. And I'm going to show a, a little video clip and actually take a little bit of the portion of the teaching this morning to, to watch this video from The Chosen, those of you who've seen the show. Because I think it's just so significant and so well done how they do it. But again, he was a person of influence and prestige in the culture. And yet he was captivated by Jesus. Through the things that he taught and the miracles that he was hearing about, or maybe even the things that he saw himself, he couldn't deny the work of God through Jesus. And so he had this, this conflict, this tension that he was wrestling with between his position of leadership and authority and Jesus being totally outside of that. And yet also probably being man of genuine faith who, who loved God and wanted to know God, wanted to honor God. And he saw the work of God in Jesus, somebody outside the framework that he was operating under, and he went and pursued him. And as we, well, as we see there, he pursued him at night, which is significant. We'll talk more about that. But just to give this a little bit of context. Now, again, with The Chosen, if, has, who's seen The Chosen, the, the show? Some of you have not, uh, maybe. Okay, so if you haven't, um, it's a great show where they try to talk at the chosen being the disciples, the people whom God chose, the early disciples, the apostles, and the work of God in their life. And, and what's really neat about it is that they don't pretend to, for it to be exactly accurate to the Bible. They take a lot of creative license and um, do a lot of character development, um, hypothetical potential character development on a lot of the characters of the Bible. And more than, you know, as I've watched it and really come to enjoy it, more than for me going like, oh yeah, that must have been exactly what Matthew was like or what Nicodemus was like, what it does is it reminds us that these were very real people in history that had a very real story and background. And it, it just helps you imagine a little bit more, brings more color to the scriptures and imagine what these people and 
scenarios would have been like. So that as we do read the scripture, which is the inspired word of God, it gives us a greater insight into the culture and, and reminds us that, man, these were very real people. And as these scenarios and conversations and interactions happened, it was very real life. Does that make sense? So let's do this. I think I'll do this at the beginning. We'll watch this little video and then we'll uh, come back to it. It may have some glitches or whatnot. We may not be able to get through it, but hopefully we'll be able to watch this little video. Again, this is um, Jesus Nicodemus late at night from the show The Chosen. to start. I have so many questions. Right, shall we sit first? Oh, yes. Of course. The eastern slums. Hmm. Many wandering preachers have succeeded in gathering crowds with their rhetoric and fiery tone. I've heard a few of them over the years myself. So you know the type. Mm -hmm. But I have never heard anyone tell a paralytic to get up and walk. Much less it actually happened. So what is your conclusion? I believe you are not acting alone. No one can do these signs you do without having... God in him. Only someone who has come from God. And how is that belief going over in the synagogue? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why we are here at this hour. What else? What have you come here to show us? A kingdom. That is what our rulers are worried about. No, not that kind. Then what? A sort of kingdom that a person cannot see unless he is born again. Born again? Yes. You mean like a new creature? A conversion from Gentile to Jewish? No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Then what is born again? I hope you don't mean return to the womb, because that would be a problem for me. My mother, and she rest in peace, is dead. Truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That part of you, that, is what must be reborn to new life. How can these things be? Ah, a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things. Huh? I'm trying, Rabbi. I know. I know. Do you hear this? What? Listen. What do you hear? The wind. How do you know it's the wind? Because I can feel it. And I hear its sound. Do you know where it comes from? No. Do you know where it's going? No. That's what it is to be born again of the Spirit. The Spirit may work in a way that is a mystery to you. And while you cannot see the Spirit, you can recognize His effect. 
mind is consumed with thoughts of what a stir these words would cause among the teachers of the law. Yes. And I do not expect otherwise. I speak of what I know and have seen. And it has not been received by the religious leaders. It is hard to receive. So if I have told you of earthly things and you do not believe, how can I tell you heavenly things? I believe your words. I just fear you may not have a chance to speak many more of them before you are silenced. I have come to do more than speak words, Nicodemus. More miracles? Yes. But even more than that. Do you remember when the children of Israel complained against God and against Moses in the wilderness of Paran? Yes. They wanted to return to Egypt and they cursed the manna that God sent them. And then? They were bitten by serpents and they were dying. But? But God made a way for them to be healed. Moses lifted the bronze serpent in the desert and people only needed to look at it. So will the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Our people are not dying from snake bites. They're dying from taxation and oppression. I'm sorry to disappoint you. But I did not come to deliver the people from Rome. Then from what? From sin. From spiritual death. Yeah, we'll have that. Pretty good, right? I stopped it. You'll, there's the next verse comes. The verse comes next, but I I stopped it. Brian, whoever gets to teach next, they did a good job, right? I mean, it kind of just unpacks some of this to see the conversation. You know, John ends his gospel by saying, you know, there were so many more things that Jesus said and did. If I were to trite them all down, I don't have enough like. The, the, the volumes of books that it would cover, right? And so we know that there is, I mean, it just what would it have been like to actually have traveled with Jesus, to see the miracles that he did in the interaction? And, of course, that's why they gave us, you know, we have all of the different gospels, the different accounts of different people from their perspective. I love how in this show, John actually welcomes Nicodemus and kind of brings him around, ushers him around up to the, the place where they met kind of secretively. And then it shows him and Andrew kind of sitting on the staircase around the corner. And he's like taking notes, you know, just kind of unpacking of what it might have looked like of how he would have transcribed this. You know, Matthew being his attention to details, he would have recorded the Sermon on the Mount, you know, as they followed Jesus. And how they valued um, transcribing things in that culture to pass on to us to this day God's word. And did their best to help us understand, you know, these conversations that happen in these stories so that we too can believe. So let's look, look at the passage again. Um, again, I think that this did a good job helping show the tension that someone like Nicodemus would have been in. What this didn't show is all of the episodes before where they unpack Nicodemus as a character with his, his spouse and his interactions with other religious leaders and their emphasis of this kind of hierarchy in a very um, leadership-driven culture, right? And so all of that kind of comes even before. So if you get a chance, you know, it's a great, great show. Um, but really, it's just because it points us to these spiritual truths that we get to see um, in these passages. So let's look again. It says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night, so he was afraid, or he was nervous. He was maybe embarrassed. He was unsure about being seen with Jesus. Uh, you can imagine this in our own uh, political landscape, right? It's like so-and-so wants to try to have a meeting to be a little bit more moderate or come to a middle ground on something, and it's like, 
oh man, I can't be caught in a photo with that political figure, right? That's going to ruin my reputation. You know, something you know, like the Pharisee, uh, Nicodemus is saying, I want to talk with Jesus and hear what God is doing. But he's in a different kind of group than I am. He's in a different socioeconomic or different status than I am. So I got to meet with him at night because I'm unsure, but I want, I want to learn. And he acknowledged the signs that Jesus uh, did. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Jesus is talking with Nicodemus. And the main thing that he wants him to understand or to learn about is the kingdom of God. And to get a greater grasp of God's kingdom. Because the religious leaders and the Jewish people at this time, they had an understanding of the kingdom. They think about David, there was going to be a Messiah to come like David in the line of David, a warrior to defeat the Romans, you know, the temple, Israel be the center of the world and of this kingdom. So it was very geographically uh, located and it was, it was a military aspect to it. That's their mindset of the kingdom. And Jesus is trying to change and give them a whole new paradigm of the kingdom of God, which is not about earthly establishment and structure, but it's about lives that are transformed and people that are made new and relationships that are restored. First, our relationship to our creator, to God, and relationship to one another. And it's a whole new kingdom, and he's trying to help them understand it. Also, though, we see in Jesus' life that he would teach a lot of things in parables and in ways that were kind of veiled or hidden. His time had not yet come, he talks about. We saw um, in his miracle in Canaan. Remember, Jesus was had a mission. The Son of Man came to the world seeking to save those who were lost. So he had a mandate from the Father, a mission that he was seeking to accomplish. But he also had an adversary. Um, the people, really in many ways, weren't his adversary. He was the one he wanted to rescue, even those that were rebelling against him. But he did have an adversary. In, you know, uh, Satan, we had seen, had, had tempted him. Right? The sons of God who had fallen, these angels who had fallen that were in rebellion against God. Paul says, you know, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but the principalities in the heavenly realms. And as Jesus is living out this mission, in some ways, his opponents didn't know what his plan was, just like people didn't really know what his plan was. And he wasn't wanting to reveal it to them. You know, we see that Satan actually deceives Judas to betray Jesus. And that was actually part of the plan. And so Jesus was teaching things about the kingdom, but he wasn't laying it out in black and white because it ha- he had to actually live it out. It had to come to fruition. Does, does that make sense? Do you see that? And so we see here there's three illustrations that he gives Nicodemus. He's, he's actually very revealing with Nicodemus. Now as we look back in retrospect, it's like, oh man, he really laid it out for this religious ruler. But it was still veiled. In many ways, like it says here, unless the Spirit of God is working in someone's life, they cannot see. Unless they're born again, they cannot even see the kingdom of God or understand. So three illustrations. He uses the illustration of birth, the illustration of wind, and the illustration of a bronze serpent. Birth, wind, and a bronze serpent. And we'll look at the significance of each of these. So the first one is birth. He says, unless you were born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus, my guess is that this was kind of probably a little bit of a snarky or sarcastic comment that Nicodemus gave. What, am I supposed to go a second time into my mother's womb? Like, what are you, what are you talking about here, right? You see it kind of said that way? I don't know how, in jest a little bit. And Jesus says, you know, what is born of flesh is flesh, is born of the spirit is spirit. So you must be born again. So question, you know, what did we all do 
to participate in our own birth, our, our birth. When you were born, what did you do to, to be born? Not a whole lot, right? Kind of the decision of your mom and dad and, you know, and so on. And then eventually you were born. You didn't really do anything to be born. Is that fair to say? And Jesus compares entering the kingdom of God to birth. You did nothing to be born. You don't really do much to be spiritually born. Which really is a huge contrast to somebody who's all about the law and and perfectly obeying and doing everything just right. He's saying, just like you didn't do anything to be born, spiritual birth is a work of God. It's a miraculous work of God and the Spirit of God who moves to draw someone to himself. It's He initiates. He's the one that does this work. And those who have a posture of surrender and, uh, and, and through faith and response, it's really God the one that regenerates us, that, that does this work of salvation, of redemption. The Spirit, even before, you know, while we are dead in trespasses and sin, the Bible says, you know, God came and he saves us, he redeems us. So the significance of birth is that it's, it's God the one that initiates, something that God does. It's not something that we do. You see that? So he's saying, to enter God's kingdom only takes place after the miraculous work of God. So question, are, are we all born children of God? Interesting question. Sometimes we, we think so. Some religious faith, you know, teach that. Well, everybody's a child of God. We're all God's children. You heard that, you know, said a lot. But according to the Bible, that, that's not the case. We are all made in the image of God, meaning we have great value, dignity, and worth that we you know, are rational, moral, relational, creative beings because we're made by rational, moral, you know, creative God. We're made in his image, and he values us, but our relationship with him is, is severed, is broken, it is damaged. And then actually the Bible says we are spiritually, in terms of relation with God, spiritually dead. Ephesians 2 tells us that, right, um, that, that we are actually, it's kind of heavy language, children of wrath or destruction, Right? Apart from, from God. And so, according to the Bible, we are not born God's children. We're made in his image. He values us. We're his creation, but not his children. The only way we enter into his family is through this process of being born again. And so then you can ask the question, well, how, what do I do? Okay, what do I got to do now to go be born again? Like, I'll, you know, all these steps. And it, it's realizing, no, it's not these steps. It's something that God does. It's responding to the God who is initiating with us. Not us going and doing the things to to get to him. We see earlier actually in John, in John 1.12, it says, To all who accepted him and believed in his name, they are given the right to become children of God. Right? So to become something, we're not at before. It's the right to become children of God. Um, this passage, or this, this, uh, this idea of being born again, um, it can also be translated born from above. It's the, the Greek word, Anathin, which can mean again or above, from above. It's this idea that, that we need to be born from above, that God does this work to bring about new life, that we have to go from not just to have a physical birth, but, but when it comes to a relationship with God, a spiritual birth that takes place, and it's something that God initiates. By way of illustration, um, in high school, actually all the way back to fifth grade, I ran a race in this like school thing. We had to run a mile, and I raced this kid named Jamie Mora, short guy at our school we went into different middle schools but in middle school we would we would do these races i he was a runner i was a soccer player but we'd run these races 
And I'd always, we'd always be really close. He beat me in fifth grade. I beat him in seventh and eighth grade, you know, by a few feet. We went on to Cal Poly together. He had a nominal Jewish background. And on our runs, we would oftentimes talk and discuss and debate. You know, we would run quite a bit. I think we were running up to like 90-mile weeks in my senior year of high school. And he would come to my house in the morning uh, to wake me. He'd run two, hour, two miles to my house, wake me up at like 6 a.m. I'd run to his house, back to my house for four miles, and we'd do a 10-mile run in the afternoon. It was kind of crazy, right? We are state champions. It kind of paid off. But anyways, a lot of running. Short shorts is embarrassing. Anyways, soccer. I like soccer more, but I ran with this kid, Jamie, a lot, a lot of hours and miles, a lot of conversations. Well, he didn't believe in God. He, you know, he would provoke me, antagonize me, and motivate me to study of what I believe, you know, defend the faith, apologetic stuff, to study the Bible more. And we go off to Cal Poly, and uh, my, my senior year of high school, uh, both of us were running the two-mile, and my first race uh, of the year at Arcadia, uh, I ran 9.05 in the two-mile, and our goal, both of us, was to break nine minutes in the two-mile, which is a big, kind of, that's fast in high school. I guess it's fast any time, but it's fast in high school, too. And, and so that was the goal. And so we were both like, man, I want to break nine. So I did ran 9.05 the first race of the season. I thought, oh, it's going to happen for sure. And, uh, and then the next race, I ran like 9.15. Another race, it was like slower competition, whatever, 9.21. It just never actually ended up happening. And one day I remember or, uh, praying. Actually, I found it in a journal. I don't even really remember praying this or writing, but I found it in a journal. And I had written a prayer. And I said, God, I would rather Jamie come to know you and me not break nine in the two mile than me break nine and Jamie come and never know you. You know, it's kind of like, what's my priorities in my life at the time? You know, this friendship that I'm ha- friend that I'm having all these conversations with versus my goals of, you know, accomplishing this, this time. Well, I never am breaking nine in the two mile. Kind of wish I had adjusted the prayer slightly. Could have made prayer for both. <laughs> but my sophomore year, me and Jamie went on to Cal Poly. We went on recruiting trips together. We went to run together at Cal Poly. And uh, he, he had some challenges in college, um, but he got, he was using a lot of uh, drugs, marijuana, other things. Um, but he was in a philosophy class that was asking some significant questions about metaphysics. And then he was in a car accident his sophomore year. Um, and then a number of circumstances happened. And I remember one day, this is about, you know, six years into our friendship and conversations about God and all this. I honestly had kind of given up. Maybe you have those people in your life. It's like, well, you know, maybe God's, you know, maybe just they're never, never going to believe. You know, it's like, oh, well, I've done my best. You know, you tried, right? And I was kind of at that place with Jamie, to be honest. And I remember one day in the locker room, we had finished a run. Actually, we had done different routes, but he, we came back and we were sitting there in the training room. And Jamie came and sat next to me and he said, Luke, I don't know how to tell you this, but I think I became, kind of whispered, I think I became a Christian. I remember being like, wait, what? What? I'm like, no way. And he's like, yeah, I don't know how to explain it, but I just, I understand now. It makes sense. And he started to tell me some of these circumstances, things that happened. And we walk up this hill, leaving uh, the, the training room. Actually, I went into the locker room, sat down on the bench, and just started to cry. And then we leave together, walking up the hill. I tell you this story because of this this uh, comment by him. We get to the top of the hill, and I said, man, this is so cool. I'm so encouraged. I said, do you want to pray together? And he said, do you want to pray? And he's like, yeah, sure. And his prayer was this. He just simply said, God, thank you for opening my eyes to see the truth. Amen. We both said, amen. That was it. That was the whole prayer. It's a good prayer, right? God, thank you for opening my eyes to see the truth. This is someone who most of his life had kind of rebelled against God, liked to mock Christians. When we were, uh, we'd have Bible team Bible study in his house, and he would come and eat pasta and just ask a couple of questions and like try to think he got us, and then he'd like leave, you know. But God reached down. God initiated. God drew Jamie to himself, and through circumstances, 
He opened his eyes to see the truth. And Jamie was, was born again. He was enabled, enabled by God to see the kingdom of God. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that cool? And that's what he does with the people in our lives. So don't give up on the people in your life. You know, you got holidays coming up. Don't give up on them. I'm not saying it's going to happen this year. Persevere. Pray for them. Don't give up on them. Amen? Amen. So Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born again? Can he enter a second time into the, his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless he is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel, I said to you, you must be born again. So water and spirit talks about. So there's different potential meanings there. Being born of water could just be referring to natural birth. Um, it could also potentially be symbolizing, you know, being born of water. You know, baptism symbolizes the idea of death to new life, being raised up out of death. It could be potentially referring to baptism or really the, just the cleansing work, work of the Holy Spirit, being washed and forgiven and cleansed, the work of the Spirit. But I think he's most likely referring to natural birth and then the work of the, being born of the Spirit, um, the spiritual regeneration that God does by God the Holy Spirit. So first illustration is birth. Second illustration is, is wind. He says, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So this idea of wind, I really believe in this illustration, Jesus is making the distinction between this very physical, temple-oriented, Israel, you know, geographical-oriented kingdom of God versus the work of the Spirit of God that's transforming lives. And as people move, the Spirit of God is working all around the world. Eventually, it's a much bigger picture, not just the Jews, but the Gentiles, that all nations would come to worship God. And the Spirit is moving in all of these miraculous ways that you cannot always see. It's, it's an internal work of God. How many can, can testify that the work of God is oftentimes very much internal and the external fruit of it doesn't happen for a while? Right? We see that with Paul when he has his conversion. He goes into Arabia for three years, wrestling, learning, growing, and then he comes back into the public stage, if you will, in ministry. God works in these miraculous ways through the Spirit, and it's like wind. And he says here, you know, you can't see wind, but you see the effects of it. Those of us that are surfers, any surfers in the room, we know about wind. John could probably give us a whole overview. You know, everything, he's a good surfer, with wind. And, you know, wind has such a significant effect on surfing. We've got all this technology nowadays, surf line, all, all these different things to see, oh, it's offshore now, now's the time to go, or, oh, the wind's really bad, right? So if you're a surfer, you know, when the wind is, is offshore, it's blowing out, the, the wave, the face of the wave just becomes, you know, glassy and beautiful. If it's onshore, it just gets nasty and gross, right? So you can't see the wind, but you see the effects of it on the wave. We don't see how the, we don't see the spirit, but we can see the effect of the spirit of God in and through our lives and in the people around us. Do you see that? So he uses the illustration of wind. John's giving me a hard time about that. It's probably not a good wind surf illustration. Um, he says, Nicodemus says, how can these things be? So he's wrestling with it. Wait, this is such a, a different paradigm shift. And again, Jesus is just kind of giving him little, little glimpses here. He's kind of actually provoking. He's like, come on, you're a teacher of the law. He kind of gives him a hard time. He says, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. I have told you earthly things and you do not believe. How can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? So he's saying, look, I'm giving you these earthly illustrations and you're not understanding it. What if I actually tried to unveil, unpack, or use the language of heaven and really 
lay it out for you. You're not gonna, you're not gonna be able to grasp it. He's basically, I think, saying, hey, wrestle with this stuff. Think about it. Think about it for a while. Be willing to, to be flexible in your, in your understanding. It says, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Katie and I was asking Katie, she's, knows the Bible probably better than I do, and I was like, hey, what's this one? <laughs> Help me understand this one. What's Jesus getting at here? The Son of Man. So I, this is such a significant reference, especially talking with Nicodemus, who would have understood the context of this probably much better than us. He's most likely referring to Daniel 7. The Son of Man is one of Jesus' most favorite uh, uh, you know, d- titles, descriptions of himself. In Daniel 7, 13 and th- through 14, I encourage you to, to read it another time, but it talks about the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. He's given authority, glory, and sovereign power over all nations. That he would have an everlasting dominion. That he's worshipped. And that his kingdom will never be destroyed. Talks about the Son of Man coming in the cloud. And so Jesus is talking about no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven. Now, of course, Jesus, we know, came down. His formal ascension has not yet happened. I don't think even the transfiguration has happened at this point. But Jesus is talking about, you know, the Son of Man is the one who has the answers to these things. Not the religious rulers, not the Pharisees, not the Sadducees. It's the Son of Man. And he's saying, that's me. I'm the Son of Man, he's saying. Um, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. So the third illustration is a bronze serpent. I don't have un- enough time to unpack all the things I would have said about it. But I like how he talked about it in the video. Really, I showed the video. We could probably just you know, pray and wrap it up after that. It was pretty well done. <laughs> But they did a good job unpacking this story where it's a strange story where, you know, they had just, the Israelites had just defeated the Canaanites and a king. They were doing really well, but then they get angry and kind of grumpy. They're sick of manna. They don't have enough water. And they're complaining about Moses and about God. And then serpents come and they're being bit and they're crying out and they repent. They're like, God, we've sinned against Moses and against God. Like, please, you know, forgive us. And Moses goes to God, what do I do? And he says, take us, uh, Take bronze, turn it into a snake, put it up on a pole and lift it up, and anybody that looks at it will be healed. And he does it, become the symbol of the Red Cross, I think, and, if that's right. Uh, and, and, you know, they, they, so they do this, and it works. And then it kind of goes on from there. There's no context. It's kind of a strange story in the Bible. I believe it was there for Jesus to reference back, to give insight into what happens, that when we look to him on the cross, that we can be healed. Not of, you know, a snake bite, but of the venom of, of sin that corrodes and corrupts and destroys and that we can be given new life. So just in conclusion, um, he says at the end, he says, whoever believes, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Whoever believes in the Son of Man will receive the free gift of eternal life. So Jesus' meeting and message to Nicodemus is profound. It's extremely revealing, but it's also, like I said earlier, slightly veiled or clouded as Jesus' time to fulfill all these things had not yet come. He uses the illustrations of birth, wind, and a bronze serpent to point Nicodemus to the redeeming work of God through the Messiah to establish a kingdom for all nations, a kingdom of God for all nations. Um. I think the application for us, the takeaway, is that Jesus' kingdom is real. 
It's far greater than any earthly kingdom of this world, and Jesus' authority and reign is eternal. We only enter this kingdom through the miraculous work of God as he grants new life when we put faith in the Son who was hung on a cross. So having a posture of surrender to acknowledge, you know, I'm infected with this disease of sin. I need to be healed. And when we look to Jesus, then we can be born of the Spirit or born from above or born again. So I just ask you guys, have you been born again? Have you been born again? You know, we hear that term, that phrase, kind of you think back to the 70s or the 90s, you know, whatever, certain aspects of Christianity, certain places. But gosh, it's this amazing truth that we can be born again, that we can receive new life. It's not about just going to church or holy, having the right beliefs. or all. It's about the work of God changing us from the inside out, that we can be made new, that we can know God and live in his kingdom, being light and sources of love and encouragement and a blessing in this world. Amen? So, you know, Nicodemus is a, uh, just a great story. You know, we'll unpack it more as we continue through John. A little bit of glimpse into the future. It's an amazing part where it talks about Nicodemus being there with Joseph of Arimathea when Jesus is brought down off of the cross. And he brings, it says, 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes. That's a lot. He's a pretty strong guy, you know. All of this stuff to be there for Jesus' burial. And I can only imagine what was echoing in his mind, or that, that these words of Jesus were echoing in his mind when he talked about the bronze serpent being lifted up. Being there, seeing Jesus having been lifted up and bringing him down and probably still being completely confused. But I believe after the resurrection, probably becoming a devoted follower of Jesus and seeing his life transformed. Hopefully, one day we'll, we'll see. Pretty cool story, right? So let's allow God to do that work in our lives. Let's not resist, but to surrender let the Spirit of God renew us, not only to be born again, but then be continually be made new into the likeness of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Let me pray. God, thanks um, for this passage of Scripture. Thank you for this time together to look at your word, to be encouraged, to be edified. And we thank you for this story, Lord, of your encounter with Nicodemus as you taught him, Lord, and encouraged him and challenged him to understand the kingdom of God in a new way. Help us, Lord, to see your kingdom. Empower us through your spirit to see your kingdom and to enter into your kingdom, Lord, and to live under your authority and guidance and love. In Jesus' name, amen.